0: Thank you so much, team, for leading us. And if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28 uh, this morning and and, uh, walking through verses 16 through 20. And this morning, we are uh, kicking off what's going to be a five-week series, just calling Moving Forward. Moving Forward. And the hope is, is that over these next five weeks, we're going to look at five very specific actions uh, rooted in Scripture that God has called His church to and that as a church, that we embrace these, these truths, these challenges, these actions, and that if we are going to be a church that continues to move forward, now just even in terms of the global church, continue to move forward to make an impact for the kingdom, that we must rally around uh, these five things. Uh, there's a, there's a, a website, I, I can quote the, the exact site, but it's like a world population ticker. And so, so like you can watch it in real time, the numbers are just rolling up, rolling up. And there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 7.8 billion people that call earth home right now. That 7.8 billion. And just being reminded that the church, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the one that he bought and paid for, with his blood that 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 God's plan a to reach 7.8 billion people on the planet is the local church it's the local church the church that he gave his life for of those 7.8 billion somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.2 billion are called uh, are known as unreached people these are people that may go through their entire life and never hear the name Jesus, to never know the hope that is in Jesus, and the church is God's plan A. And so as we look today, this morning, again, walking through five specific action points, rally points as a church that desires to move forward, and it is that we would be a disciple-making church. We're going to walk through that. We, I believe with all my heart, we are a disciple-making church. But by God's grace, He's always wanting to grow us. He's always wanting to stretch us. He's always wanting to to mature us in our faith. And so this call to be a disciple-making church. And there are all kinds of pressures that come to the church, but I find great comfort. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's a city right up north of the tip of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a place that was overrun with pagan worship. It was like the epicenter of pagan worship. And Christ is there with his disciples. And he says to them in that place that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That, that believers to be encouraged is that there is absolutely nothing in the world that will stop the church. Nothing. Nothing. not not. Not pandemic, not political unrest. There is nothing that can stop the church. But there are dangers that do come that can slow down the church. That can take and steal the focus of the church. And so as we look at this text, we are reminded that one of the greatest dangers to the church is not so much what is outside but rather what can happen inside, and that would be purpose drift. In other words, you you forget, you lose sight of why we're here, why you're here. It could happen in your job. You wake up every day or go to school, and you you got your routine down, you, you do what you do, and then it's possible to go through that process, through the day, through the week, maybe even through years, and 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 just kind of like stop and, and forget why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And the same applies to the church, that the mission of the church is the glory of God and the mission of God, and that by God's grace and staying centered and tethered to his word, that we will always keep in mind and in focus the glory of God and the mission of God. And this is what he's calling us towards. So to kick off this brand new year, to start the year, I thought it'd be very important that we look at Christ's final words, some of his final words, and it's known as the Great Commission. Great Commission. Um, I got four kiddos, many of y'all know that, and and if you live in that world or or grow up, there are things at times that you're asked to do, and you do those. Uh, If I go to Elijah, my son here, and I say, hey, e, uh, I need you to do something for me. And so I look at him and, and I did ask his permission to use him. So uh, thanks, bud. Uh, but, but anyway, if I look at him and I say, hey, Elijah, hey, listen to dad. OK, I want you to go clean your room. All right. We, we've all been there. We've probably received that instruction, whether we follow through or not. That's another thing. But I tell my son, I want you to clean your room. Let's say E disappears for two hours-ish, and all of a sudden he runs back to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, guess what? I memorized what you told me to do. I memorized what you told me to do. You said, go clean your room. And then he stands there, and then what am I doing? I'm looking, I'm like, that's great that you memorized the words that I told you to do, but have you done it? Have you gone to clean your room? He's like, no. And so he disappears for a little while. And then all of a sudden he comes back and says, hey, dad, dad, hey, tonight I'm inviting my friends over and we're going to talk about what it might look like if I obeyed what you said. And then it's like, no, no, like I just want you to do what I asked you to do. And, And I think even in terms of the Great Commission. This passage that we're going to walk through, maybe for some the first time you hear it, for others maybe you've heard it over and over again, but I think what we can't miss out is not even that we've memorized it, which is essential that we memorize God's Word, and not that we've had Bible studies talking about this passage, but the question is as believers, are we actively engaged in living out this command because this is what God has called us to do. And what can happen is it can feel more of a recommendation, more of a suggestion, maybe applies to super, super Christians out there that, that have it all together. The reality is is we're all works in progress. We always are. And so this command is to all followers that we would we would obey this command, and there are a lot of things that we could do as a church, and that, well, there will be lots of things that we will do as a church, but we must do this. Because if we don't do this, then we're missing the main purpose, the glory of God, the mission of God. So we're going to be in Matthew 28. I want to kind of set the context a little bit. You notice we're jumping in towards the tail end of the gospel just a reminder, the disciples that he would be speaking to, they have seen so much in the past few days, in the past few weeks, that they have seen Christ betrayed by someone they thought they knew and thought they trusted and thought that loved them and loved Christ. They've seen Christ betrayed by Judas. They've seen him be arrested in the garden. They would have been aware, and at least Peter saw kangaroo court after kangaroo court after kangaroo court, ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus and placed in a tomb. And they have seen so much, and yet I love that we celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection. He gave the disciples a heads up that there would be a resurrection. He gave them a heads up on when He would see them again. He says in Matthew twenty six thirty two in the final meal, Lord's Supper... The final supper, the last supper, there in the upper room, he says this as they're gathered. He says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's giving them a heads up. He's like, after I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. On Resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they make their way to the tomb And an angel is there, Matthew 28, 7. And the angel says this, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you're going to see him. Jesus actually intercepts the ladies as they're leaving him in the flesh. There the resurrected Christ says to them in Matthew 28, 10. He says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. We know that John chapter 20, at least eight days, Christ would have been there around Jerusalem. This is where he appeared to Thomas. And and so we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of day 20 to day 35 after the resurrection of Jesus, that Christ would have met his disciples there on that mountainside. This context or text that we're reading It's possible that there weren't just the 11 disciples there, but there could have been hundreds of people on that mountainside. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 mentions that hundreds saw the resurrected Christ, and so there could be more. And it's in this passage that we see the climax and the focus of the New Testament. That Christ is now, the resurrected Christ is going to gift His followers with specific instruction and commands. That they would change the world for His glory. It says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, the Bible says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Again, he had, he had given them a heads up. He had told them this is where He would meet them. And so now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. The right response always to Christ, in response of what He's done for us, is worship. Oftentimes, even Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they were on their faces worshipping Christ when they saw the resurrected Christ. They are worshipping him true worship single minded unhindered focus on Christ that the greatest the greatest ability of a follower is their availability and so here they are and they're gathered before the Lord and it's interesting it says but some doubted so we don't 100% know what's happening right there what, what's going on you know, it's possible to think if there were hundreds, maybe there's people in the back that can't quite see or they're wondering what's going on. But in my heart, I, I really believe and feel that, that with this, it's, it's, there's some doubt that they were doubting themselves. That, that they would be entrusted with this mission that God's going to give them, that they could be in the presence of a holy and mighty God. That they were potentially thinking of all the reasons why they weren't worthy to be there. That they're thinking about the areas that they're weak in, that they struggle in. Can you imagine the whirlwind of thoughts that's sweeping through their mind and all they're experiencing and fear and doubts? That these weren't people who had gone to Bible school all their life or seminary trained. I love what Acts 4.13 says. It says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These are fishermen, these are tradesmen, these are tax collectors. And yet Christ has invited them in to be a part of a mission that is way bigger than themselves. And that for the believers today... That we would be encouraged that the invitation of God is to his church. That he has bought and paid for with his blood. To be a part of a mission that is way bigger than us. And in verse 18 the Bible says. And Jesus came and said to them. And I love Jesus in his grace and his mercy. And he comes. Jesus came and said to them. I love this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because it's going to be important for the disciples to hear this because what's coming next is going to blow their minds. It's going to have the potential to overwhelm them. And so He wants to lay out before this command, He wants to lay out the authority that He has. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has power over heaven and earth. He has power over disease and sickness. The disciples had a front row seat. They saw it all. That Christ has has authority over demons. That they had seen people who there's no hope for, and yet Christ rescued. You see that Christ has authority over nature. Can you imagine having been in that boat when Christ calmed the seas with just a word? That, they has, that Christ has authority over sin, that He has authority over death. That in John 10, 18, He says... I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it up again. He has all of the authority in heaven and earth. And he says on his authority, he is now going to entrust to his disciples a command. And not a suggestion, not a recommendation, not, hey, think about this. He's going to lay out a command, a command of God, and it's going to be simply this, make disciples. Verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in, in light of his authority, make disciples of all nations. Doesn't say make converts, doesn't say make Christians. It says make disciples. Make disciples. A disciple is a person who has come to that time and place in their life where they acknowledge their sin, repent of their sin, and place their faith and trust in Christ. That they are committed to follow Him in continual learning and obedience. And there's a comma there. And then invest what Christ has placed in them into other people. And that it doesn't doesn't stop there, but there's a comma. And then they invest in others. And then they invest in others. And then they invest in others. That God's design for the church is that it is a disciple-making movement... Who makes disciples that makes disciples. And discipleship is a journey it's never done. It's never finished. There's never this time where I arrive. There's always room to grow and stretch and mature. And allow God's grace to continue to convict and reveal and grow us and shape us. Galilee says a true disciple is a person who accepted and submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. Whatever that may mean or demand... A true convert is filled with the Holy Spirit and given a new nature that yearns to obey and worship the Lord that has saved him. Even when he's disobedient, he knows he's living against the grain of his new nature, which is to honor and please the Lord. He loves righteousness, hates sin, including his own. discipleship you can't microwave a disciple we mentioned this last week somebody comes to faith in Christ they give their lives to Jesus it doesn't it doesn't work like hey okay they've made a decision for Jesus throw them in this microwave press a minute ding a fully devolved fully devoted follower of Jesus right there like it's it's all wrapped up that's not how it works we we like instant things I like instant things I mean Somebody might have been frustrated on Christmas morning when people were taking too long to open presents. It's like, open it already, you know? Like, like, not just one piece of tape, one piece of tape, or, or slow internet, or even going through fast food. Like, I'm sorry, you got to go over here and, and wait in box number one or two. And it's just like, we like instant, but discipleship is messy. It's messy, and it can be more like a slow cooker or a crock pot than like a microwave. The discipleship is a process and it doesn't keep hours like eight to five or, or happen just at this time and this time. The literal reading of go therefore and make disciples is as you are going, make disciples. And so it's this picture that from when we wake up and when we go to sleep at night, that Christ has entrusted the Holy Spirit into us to continue to invest in others what he has invested in us and stay tethered to the word of God. And so, this call to go, make disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That this is, for the believer, this is that first step of obedience. It doesn't make you saved. That's salvation by grace through faith. You're saved, not of works. But baptism is that act of obedience. It's that outward symbol of an inward change. The word there, baptized, means to immerse. It means immersion. That's why when we baptize, we baptize by immersion. Christ was baptized by immersion as our example. He, you see, New Testament believers, they're all baptized by immersion. Christ's command to us as believers is to be baptized. And so the encouragement to, to everyone in the room and listening online is that if you have had that time and place where you've accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, That you would take that step in believers' baptism. That immersion symbolizes the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. That through baptism we are identified with Christ. And this is the marker. This is the marker. And so the Word tells us we're going to go and make disciples. Okay, We're going to see folks baptized by immersion after salvation. You see that baptism and then... He says in verse 20, And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. testing God's word into others. The Bible is our textbook. I love the saying that we must get in the word so the word must get into us. God's word is the essential ingredient in disciple making. It can never happen apart from his word. His word is truth. His word is so good. His word is a gift to us. We have it accessible by our phones. We have maybe multiple Bibles on the shelves. We have God's word to us. I want to share just a few verses of encouragement to this word, this gift that God's given us. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That is the man of God may be complete. I love this equipped for every good work. Everything you do in life will be guided, impacted and instructed by the Holy Spirit applying the word. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. First Peter 123, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Colossians 3:16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, entire Psalm, longest Psalm. It's all about revival according to the Word. The Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. His word is essential. Jeremiah 15:16, your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called. By your name, O Lord God of hosts. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my, Jesus says, my words will not pass away. Jesus, as he's in the garden, he's praying that high priestly prayer. says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus, being tempted in the wilderness, begins to quote scripture from the Old Testament. He says this, as the enemy, after fasted 40 days, 40 nights, he says, command these stones to be turned to bread. Can you imagine the temptation? Christ, fully divine, fully human, perfect sacrifice. That Christ says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word of Scripture. Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ our lives, our minds, our hearts must be saturated with the Word of God. We must be tethered to the Word of God in discipleship. The Word of God is the centerpiece. God, Holy Spirit applies that to our lives. The Word is powerful, powerful. Um, The Gideon ministry, many of you maybe are familiar with that ministry. It's an awesome ministry, uh, working to get the Word of God and Hard to reach places, and even you know every hotel room and prisons and things like that. Uh, I love testimonies. I, there's a there's a ton of them out there, but one uh, testimony that 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 kind of God God really just kind of hopped out the page as I was uh, reading about it was in North Carolina back in the 90s. There was a there was a a, a complete ban on smoking. So ban on smoking, no cigarettes nothing in the prisons. And so uh, the inmates at the time would would obviously, like, people are creative. And so they begin to dry out grass and banana peels and they begin to find ways to smoke. And so they would take these Gideon Bibles, the pages out of these Gideon Bibles, and they would roll, whether it's the grass or banana peels, up and they would try to smoke them. Now, one inmate in particular said he wanted... To respect the good book, and so what he would do before he would tear out the pages, he would read the word, and so he would read Matthew one, Matthew two said he would read that a couple times, and then he would tear out the page, and he would smoke grass or banana peels, whatever that would be. True story. He says, the inmate says, "I smoked all through Matthew, I smoked all through Mark." I smoked Luke, and he says, and John smoked me. That he, the Word, got into him, and he came under conviction of the Holy Spirit through the Word. We will never, ever thrive in our faith apart from His Word. And so we have to tether ourselves to the Word. The Word brought conviction. He gave His life to Christ. It says you can't read His Word long until His Word starts reading you. And this is what the Word does. So there's this command to make disciples. But there's a second command in this verse. Make disciples and behold. Behold. That word means to gaze upon, to be in awe. He says, make disciples and behold. And I believe with all my heart, we must behold because disciple making can be tough. And disciple making can be challenging and difficult and, and sometimes exhausted. And at times being... Under misunderstood or, 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 or just the, the messiness of it all, but yet it is by beholding, it's the only way to fuel discipleship is to keep proper focus as you go through it. That Christ is always the focus, that we never take our eyes off of Jesus. And so he has laid out these commands to these 11 disciples on a mountainside, potentially hundreds more listening in. And he gives this command. He says, make disciples and behold. And in verse uh, or, excuse me, in, in, in the following verse, there we see the promise of God. Jesus says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. That these disciples would have been completely overwhelmed. They knew that they were entrusted with the task. He didn't say to go back to your neighborhood. Now, in Acts, he does talk about be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But on the Galilean mountainside, he is commanding them to make disciples of all nations. The farthest reaches of the world, these 11 guys sitting on this mountainside. And, And here's the deal, that apart from the authority and the presence and power of God, this would have been completely overwhelming to them. That God always supplies His resources to guide His church in accomplishing His mission. The mission is never, never set apart, yet always in concert with His power and His presence. I love that before He called the disciples to go and make disciples, He called them to that Galilean mountainside to be with Him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, The Bible says, and he, Christ, appointed twelve so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Before he ever sent them out, he called them to be with him. And I love that because I think a danger as a believer is to go about the ministry and to keep going about the ministry and going about the ministry and yet neglect the most important piece and that is your personal relationship with the Lord and being tethered to the word of God this beholding in his presence and power is essential because maybe there were maybe you're in the room and you 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 hear this I hear this and and we hear this call to make disciples it's possible to say but I'm a brand new christian how can i make a disciple i'm i'm brand new like i just gave my life to jesus and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age you may be in that place and i've been there i don't know all the answers like what if somebody asks a question that you don't know the answer to what look and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age, but I've never made a disciple before. I I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess somebody else up. You know, you kind of like, there's all these reasons. And I think this is why Jesus wraps it up by saying, and behold me, be in awe of me gaze upon me. You're, you're turning the focus to yourself. Keep your focus on me. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we rest in the authority that He has over heaven and earth. We receive this instruction with trembling and an overwhelmed heart. Because for some of us, I'm like, man, my, my own house. I mean, we're, we're trying to walk through this on our own. But yet now He's called us to a mission that is to reach our city and our state, our country, even the world. This is why beholding is so important. It's so important. So... How do we process this? What does this mean for us? We walk out of here. My my hope and, and my challenge. And I hope, you know, like I'm not preaching at you in no way. Like we're in this thing together right here. We're walking through it. But as I'm processing this command, a couple questions that arise. The challenge comes. Holy Spirit, show my heart, reveal my heart. Am I actively engaged in making disciples? And what does that look like? We're all called to that. We're all called to it. Holy Spirit, guide us through this. So it could be that you're here and you're a believer and you've never been baptized by immersion. The encouragement is that you would take that bold step, you'd take that next step and follow in believer's baptism. This is what God has called us to. It's a testimony. It's a witness. It's it's obedience to Him. And so we walk in that. If you're here and you're a believer, maybe you've been a believer for years and years and years, maybe just a few weeks, months, I don't know. This encouragement doesn't come with a little footnote or an asterisk or, or like some finer print that says, but only after you followed Him for at least three to five years. Like, like this call is to make disciples. And so for us as a church, we want to be a disciple-making church. And so we're going to, that's, that's what we're kind of looking Towards, we want to see everybody gathered in worship together. We want to see everybody connected in the Sunday school group, getting that needed community and shared life. And then there's another step that we're calling D-groups. D-groups, and that's what Wednesday's about. That's the invitation to come and be a part, is that this is a practical framework on how to make disciples. It's not the way, it's a way. But I've found is that when you don't really know or not sure what to do, typically you just don't do it. And so what this is, is this is a framework to help us. It's a framework of a D group that would be gender specific, three to five believers that would be gathered together, meet consistently for the purpose of spiritual transformation. Transformation reading the Word, journaling the Word, memorizing the Word, accountability, and prayer. And once you walk through that framework, 12 to 16 months, the encouragement is this, okay, now I'm going to go get two or three. Now I'm going to get two or three more, and I'm going to get two or three more. And what happens is, it's a multiplying effect that over time, you see disciples who are making disciples, who are making disciples, who are making disciples. It's been said that the discipleship process is not complete until that disciple is now making disciples, who are made disciples. And so there is that encouragement that we would be engaged in disciple-making as a disciple-making church. This is what he's invited us into, a mission bigger than ourselves, to reach, this is the avenue to reach the over 7 billion people on the planet with the gospel. And the over three million people who have never heard the name of Jesus, that it is through making disciples. And so I pray that, that that we would be encouraged, be encouraged to join arms together as the body of Christ and be committed to move forward in disciple making for the glory of God and for the mission of God understanding and realizing there is absolutely nothing that can stop the church, nothing that can stop the church. And so we set our focus on Him. We set our gaze on Him. And then it could be that you're here and you're like, you know what, I, I I hear you, but I, I, if somebody asked me, if somebody asked me the question, do you have a relationship with Jesus and you find yourself, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I did. I'm not sure if I do. Then can I just lovingly from God's word encourage you and remind you that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life Jesus Christ God the son God in the flesh comes lives a perfect sinless life a life that we could never live the Bible says for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God But yet he lived a perfect sinless life. A life that we could never live on our own. And that he was crucified on a Roman cross to pay the price for our sin. Our sin, sin of the world, deserved a payment. And the righteous payment could only be paid by the spotless blood of Christ. And so he loved the world that he gave. Jesus Christ laid down his life, shedding his blood on the cross... And that they place him in a tomb, and that he did not stay there. He resurrected from the dead. You witness over eyewitness, all the evidence there. Christ, the resurrected Christ, has victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he extends an invitation to you today into a relationship, an opportunity to experience his grace, an opportunity to rest in his grace, an opportunity for forgiveness the gift of His Holy Spirit to live inside you, to grant the grace and the power to do what we could never do on our best day. And that He will restore you. He will forgive you. He gives you a mission. And this mission is forever. And we spend eternity with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. And so the encouragement today is if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today, would you give your heart to Jesus? He loves you and He gave His all for you. I'm going to pray for us, and and as we pray, um, we're going to have a time of response, and, and, and as we have this time of response, there's freedom. There's freedom. Perhaps it's maybe to come in one of our pastors. Say, Can you pray specifically for me in this area? If you want to pray at the altar, to pray at the altar. If it's praying for something in your own world our country leadership if you pray for revival in our country in our world um, maybe it's understanding this call and command to be a disciple maker but just like that's a big first step whatever that might be or maybe it's just being right there at your at your pew and you just kind of it's you and the Lord and you just pray and you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal and work and In every way that He is just honored and glorified. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for um, the opportunity to experience grace. God, to be forgiven. God, to walk in a relationship with You. God, to, as a believer, walk in... Your grace and through the strength and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And God, to be a part of a mission that is way bigger than me. God, that your plan A to reach the world is your church. That you have bought and paid for with your spotless blood. And so, Father, may we be committed. May we be committed to be a disciple-maker. And God, we realize there are times where we are in over our head and sometimes I think that's right where you want us to be, completely dependent on you, trusting you. And so God, help us, show us, and may we see a disciple-making movement happen in our city and all around the world. And Father, I pray for, uh, for that person who may be here who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that... God, that you would continue to just reveal your word, your truth to them, and that your incredible love, your care, the forgiveness you offer, the relationship that you offer, the life, the peace, the mission, eternal life. So God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction over sin to turn from that sin and to turn to you and trust you as Lord and as Savior. God. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand, sit, come pray. One of our pastors can pray over you. Let's give this time to the Lord to work in our hearts.